You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, good morning. Will you take out of your outline, uh, your your outline out of your program, and we're in a series called Peace is Born. And what you're going to find out is peace is not an aura. Peace is not a destination. But you're going to find out that peace is a person and that peace has been born to us. In fact, there were people a long time ago who were waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the hope of peace. In fact, they wanted a leader who would be better than any other leader ever has been. And they were hopeful that that person would, would be born. I mean, could you imagine if, if we as a nation were like, hey, today, born today, now we've got to wait 40 years, but born today is the greatest president the United States will ever have they got to be 40 at least, so we got to wait 40 years. But can you imagine what life's going to be like in 40 years if we have the greatest leader we've ever seen as a nation? Well, the people in the Old Testament were looking forward to a Messiah who would be like that for them. A Messiah who would bring peace. And we would look at that and go, hey, two terms and out. How much can a person do? And, and we would look at it. But in their day and age, they were hopeful for a kingdom that would never end that would always last. And how could peace be accomplished that lasts beyond the lifetime of a mortal human being? And so in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah is a prophet. He's looking forward and he tells us about the birth of Christ years and years before Christ was born. He says this, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father and prince of what? Peace. Prince of peace. And he says of this peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So here's Isaiah writing, looking forward. And he is saying, listen, there." Peace is going to be born to you. Peace is not an aura. It's not a feeling. It's not a destination. Peace is actually a person. This is the only person through whom humanity will ever have peace between themselves and God and the only hope of the world ever for a lasting government that will never perish nor spoil nor fade that God has designed from the very beginning. And God's going to accomplish that. And, And December can be quite an interesting month. I don't know if you're aware of that, but December at times can be, in the course of history, can be an interesting month. I, I want you to think back for a moment to your very first solo drive. Very first solo drive. You're 16 or 18 or whatever you got your license, and, and the very first time that you drove in the car, you don't have any parents there. You don't have anybody else there. My guess is that in your first few times driving, some things happened on the road that you've never told anyone about. Because you were by yourself, right? Unless there was like evidence, you could just get away. Like maybe you tried to change lanes and somebody honked at you and you were mortified. And maybe, maybe you know, you actually got on the phone and someone scolded you. Or maybe you got in a little bit of a fender bender, but there was not enough to show. And, and you just thought, okay, I'm never going to say anything about that. Because one of the things that's not very peaceful is learning how to drive. In fact, learning how to drive can cause a lot of anxiety, mostly for parents, but also for the person learning to drive, right? That you're just like, I'm so anxious. I don't know how all this works, and and I got to figure it out. Well, my very first solo drive for me happened in the year uh, that I turned 16. It was December 26th. 
So it was the day after Christmas, and I had to go to soccer practice. And, you know, nobody's out on the road. It's like 9 a.m. in the morning on the day after Christmas, and everybody's sleeping in. It's one of those long weekends. And so nobody's out, but I've got to go to soccer practice in Southern California. So I leave my house, and on my very first solo drive, and I get, you know, to the first major intersection. Now, you know when you're driving and you're learning how to drive, the when you go to an intersection, the first thing that you might look at is that the light's green, but then you look at the don't walk sign. You know what I'm talking about? It blinks. And as long as it's blinking, you're pretty good. Like, it's going to stay green. But as soon as that blinking stops, you know it's going to go yellow, then red pretty quick. So you, I'm kind of fixated on that fact that that thing is blinking. And I'm like, I got time. I got time. I got time. And as I'm getting closer and closer, I realize I'm going to make it. Like, it's still blinking. I'm all good. There's nobody on the roads. It's a good day to do my first solo drive. As I'm looking at that don't walk sign, something catches my eye in the corner. And I look left as a Cadillac T-bones me in the side of my car. They ran the red light. The sun was in their eyes. Day after Christmas, they blitz me. The lady slams on the gas pedal because there were no brake marks, which means she accelerated into me to brace, and she broke her ankle and her collarbone because she, you know, she just impacted so hard. And so her 1970s era Cadillac hit, well, let me show you what car my parents were going to make me drive to school. (laughs) And sometimes you just got to do what you got to do to not drive certain cars (laughs) to school for your entire teenage years. So what happened is she T-boned me, and that car, if you'll put that slide back up for just a second, the car got hit, and the seat behind me, see the passenger door? The seat behind me got crushed halfway across the car. It bent that station wagon like a banana, which means the cop told me as I got, after the accident, he said if it had hit the A pillar, it would have turned into you, because you were going 40 miles an hour, she was going like 60, it would have turned into you and crushed your seat halfway across. You wouldn't be alive. And I'll tell you what, that'll sober you up. That'll make you think a little bit, right? And I begin to look at that. So what happens to me, I just got hit, and I didn't know, like, I knew something happened. All I knew was I wanted to stop. So I kicked the brake on that. I slid up a curb ramp into a dirt field between two light poles, and I'm bleeding because what happened was that the car hit me so hard that my seat crushed under, my legs slapped together. I could line up my bruise marks on my legs from where they hit each other, and then my seat's crushed under like this, and then the doors pushed in on me. So my head literally went through the side window and hit on top of the mirror, and I got 58 stitches right here in my head. Merry Christmas, the year I turned 16. And my brothers came to me and they said, Dave, man, like, are you scared to drive now? Like your first drive, you made it one block. (laughs) Good job. Are you scared to drive? And like any 16-year-old male, I thought, well, if I can make it through that and I'm still alive, I'm invincible. So I thought, like, this is great. Like, I can do whatever. If, if that didn't take me out, then I'm all good. I'm all good. Nowadays, we would think about that a little more, wouldn't we? But back then, that's what you think when you're a teenager. But December can be a crazy time. Like, you could be going along and think things are great, and then all of a sudden, your peace gets shattered like a couple of headlights. You were doing fine, but it explodes in a hail of glass. And you begin to wonder what happened. And it's not just the day after Christmas. It could be any time in the month. Let me ask you, what were you doing on December 8th, 1980? December 8th, 1980, what were you doing? This is the day that John Lennon got gunned down. 
So now let me ask, what were you doing when you heard the news of the shooting of John Lennon on December 8th of 1980? Life is far from peaceful. What were you doing December 26th, day after Christmas, 2004? I was preaching, I remember that. But December 26, 2004, we just were receiving word that massive tsunami waves were killing hundreds of thousands of people in Indonesia. Now where were you when you learned of the tsunamis? You can think of it, you can picture it. Life can be far from peaceful. Where were you, what were you doing on December 13th when Drake set out to make history? Some of you are like, shh, pastor talking about Drake. Shh, quiet down. That's right, December 13th, when Drake set out to make history, December 13th, 1577, when Sir Francis Drake set out to raid Spanish pirate ships and ended up over the next three years circumnavigating the entire world, the first ship to do that. And let me tell you, this man started out at the bottom. This man, when his crew was stuck in their feelings, he probably had to tell them, hold on, we're going home at least once a week. Life can be far from peaceful. What were you doing December 25th when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace? Listen, it is perhaps one of the most puzzling names ever ascribed to Jesus, Prince of Peace. Because let's face it, that's a pretty odd name or distinction for the person since the day of his birth has caused controversy across the entire world. Prince of Peace. There's a unique name for you. If I were an unbeliever, I would think, well, the name Prince of Peace is a pretty bad name. He was probably pretty unsuccessful at what he was trying to do. I would think if I were an unbeliever, because since his conception, I would have to conclude that it wasn't very successful because Joseph thought about leaving his fiancee Mary when she became pregnant with Jesus. He thought about ending the engagement over Jesus. King Herod wanted to kill Jesus when Jesus was only two years old. It's not a good start, I'm just saying, right there, not so great. His family had to go on the run and flee to Egypt. They were refugees. Today, because of the name of Jesus, we look back over history and we say many wars have taken place because of the name of Jesus. And we would look and say, even today, in modern times, in this sophisticated world that we live in, hundreds and thousands of people are martyred for the name of Jesus because they refuse to deny their belief in his name worldwide. And we live a little insulated from that for the time being, and I just want to say, Prince of Peace brings along with him quite a bit of controversy. In fact, lawsuits arise from the use of his name or from reference to him in public places. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 10, 34, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And what is Jesus referring to? He's understanding that in his name, that in the name of Jesus, there will be some who find their way to peace between them and God, but there'll be others who rage against the salvation that he offers and refuse to believe in him till the day they die. That people will not want to be confined. That people have free will. He's saying, listen, that I'm going to do some things that you don't anticipate I'm going to do. What did the Jewish people want of Jesus? They wanted him to set up a government that will never perish or spoil or fade only in one man's lifetime. 
And they were like, this guy can do miracles. He can make food. We don't have to be farmers anymore. This guy can do whatever. And they wanted him to bring peace to the region. This man's really powerful. He'll have to kick the Romans out. We're an occupied society. And they wanted him to do that. And Jesus is saying, listen, don't think I came to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. What's he referring to? He's referring to the fact that sometimes even you and I have to endure the fight or the hardship or the trauma or the battle before we experience peace. Here's why you need this sermon today. God's word is gonna argue for a calm, common sense approach to the problems of hardship and anxiety. And you're gonna find that peace is a person. In Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, it tells us this again, for to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's four names in there. They're gonna say this person, this Prince of Peace is gonna be born, but there's four names, and I wanna point out for you that the whole Trinity is represented in those four names. That first we have wonderful counselor, that the wonderful counselor is our advocate. It's the Holy Spirit who God would send to remind us of everything that Christ said, that there is the wonderful counselor. Then encompassing all three would be this phrase, mighty God, that together, three in one, they are mighty God. Distinctly everlasting Father, there's the Father in the Trinity, and Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit wrapped up in mighty God. So here we are in an Old Testament context forecasting a New Testament reality that Jesus would be born, that he is the son. He is the prince of peace that will be born to us. Well, in your outline, you've got a question. Why is he not called the king of peace? Why is he not called the king of peace? He's king of kings, he's lord of lords, why not king of peace? Well, he's the prince. He's in waiting for a future government and lasting peace. Sometimes people come along and they accuse God of the hardships that they're facing. God, if you're God, then why is there suffering in the world? God, if you're God, why do I endure hardship? And what they don't realize is that God is saying, I'm bringing it eventually in my timeline, not yours, my timeline, I'm bringing it. I'm not slow in bringing it because I want for people to come to salvation. I want them to become aware that they are dead in their sins. They are condemned in their sins. But that I made a way through my sacrifice on the cross that their sins could be washed away. They could be made as white as snow. And he's saying, I'm not slow in bringing this peace. In fact, I've already sent the counselor who will bring peace to you right now. And eventually, all that will happen. I will be the answer to all the angst and suffering in society that you face. But sometimes we accuse God. God, if you're God, you apparently don't know what you're doing. Because we see the prince of anxiety. We see the prince of hardship, the prince of suffering in our experience. And well, i got to tell you something. Life is relentless but you're gonna find out the more that you walk with Jesus that life is relentless, but God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. He just is. And he will be the answer that we are so longing for. So this is speaking of Jesus' eternal reign that's described in Revelation. It's the ultimate fulfilling of the Davidic covenant. Second on your outline, Jesus' turmoil on earth secured peace between people and God and gives us the hope of heaven. 
his turmoil on earth, the hardship Jesus himself went through from birth till death, the hardships that he faced, secured peace between man and God and give us the hope of heaven. In John 14, verse 25, Jesus says this to his disciples before he's going to leave and, and go back up into heaven. He's saying this, all this I've spoken while still with you. But the advocate, this is the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Let me pause right there because I want to point that out. Don't miss this verse. Watch what, God, what Jesus does. The Holy Spirit who the Father is going to send in the name of who? In the name of Jesus. So you always watch. You say, how does the Godhead work? And which one's like the most important? You don't realize it's three in one. They're God in essence. But the role of the Holy Spirit is always to point you and me to Jesus. The role of Jesus is always to do the will of the Father. And the role of the Father is to provide salvation and, God, and send the Holy Spirit. You see this perfect unity in the Godhead. That when you can pray to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that God, in essence, is working actively out of his great love for you. He goes on and says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Was life going to give the disciples troubling circumstances and hardships? Absolutely. But he's saying again, don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. When you and I get caught up in our anxiety, when we face hardship or our impossible situation, the first thing that happens is that our hearts get troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Why? Because peace is not an aura. Or peace is not only dependent on circumstances. Peace is a person. And he was born to us. Peace is born. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and following, Paul is writing, he says, those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mindset on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and what? Peace. Life and peace. Do you want peace in your life? He goes on, verse 7, the mind of the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. What's it saying? Those who are spiritually dead, those who have not given their lives to Jesus, those who have not received forgiveness for their sins, they have no option but to do what the flesh wants to do. And they are dead in their trespasses and sins. They are captive by the flesh with no hope of life in the spirit. But because of Jesus... You and I have the option to be able to choose. God, I love you. I want to receive forgiveness of my sins. I want to come to new life in you. And it says then that God gives us his Holy Spirit. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. How many of you would self-admit that so much of our anxiety and stress is self-inflicted? Sometimes because of our behavior. Right? Right? Your mind was not governed by the spirit. Your mind was governed by the flesh. And now you're trying to dig your way out of the decisions you made in the flesh because you want to live according to the spirit, but you know that some of the stress you brought upon yourself and your own life was because you wanted that relationship. You wanted that quick fix. You wanted that effort to get rich quickly. You wanted it your way, and now it's all backfired. And sometimes, for you and for me, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, the stress and the anxiety that sometimes we have in our life is self-inflicted. 
And there are plenty of other circumstances out there when the stresses of life and the hardships of life and the anxiety of life come from the outside in. But so often, we have a choice. Am I going to walk according to my flesh and what it desires? And if I do, I'm going to bring anxiety and stress on myself because I'm living according to the captivity to the flesh. Or I'm going to choose to walk away from the kind of decisions that leave regrets. I'm going to choose to walk in obedience to God's Holy Spirit. And in doing so, I begin to experience life and peace. What about Jesus? He came to sacrifice himself. He suffered in his flesh to accomplish the will of God. He didn't minimize his own suffering. I like this idea that the very kind of turmoil that the name of Jesus Christ has brought on others, he actually placed upon himself. He didn't say, you put up with the turmoil that maybe my name is going to cause, but I'm out. No, Jesus said, by my very action, I came as a suffering servant. I'm going to die. I'm going to stretch out my arms on a cross. I'm going to allow myself as God to be crucified, to be dead and buried, to raise to new life, to show myself to be God. He didn't ask you to go through hardships of life and not have any himself. He didn't ask you to go through the reality of mortality and not experience it himself. The immortal one became mortal. And he rose from the dead, conquering death, proving his immortality. But he had to walk the road of suffering. He was beat and whipped and spit upon and mocked for our sins, not his own. He was crucified for us. And he willingly walked that road of suffering because he knew that freedom could be bought through his perfect sacrifice of his life. John 3.16 and verse 17. John 3.16 is probably the most popular verse that most people in the world would ever have seen. However, they often miss John 3.17. Let's look at both together. First John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. So here's God, the Father, loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then it goes on and says this, verse 17. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What was God's intent? Not to send the perfect God-man and the person to Jesus to stand in judgment and condemnation on the entire world. You know why? Because God can be judged just fine up in heaven. He didn't need Jesus to come to the world and point his finger around and say, I told you so to everybody. But he is perfect. But Jesus came out of his great love to demonstrate that while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. Before we were born, Christ died for you and for me. He loves us that much. Freedom for us was bought at the price of his life. I grew up with a friend. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. And Johnny is, uh, for 50 years, has been in a wheelchair as a quadriplegic. She can't move her arms, she can't move her feet, she can't walk. She's learned to use some back muscles to bring her hands around and do some different things. Um, She puts a little, like a stick in her mouth and she pushes buttons on a steering column to drive. And when we were little kids driving around with her, we were like, ah, the quadriplegic's driving! We were not very nice. Because we were scared in the back seat. I mean, talk about anxious. The person in the wheelchair pulls into the driver's seat, and I'm just saying, right? When you're a kid, you get a little nervous about that kind of thing. 
she did just fine. But when she was 17, she was a healthy young adult, and she dove off a platform into water that was too shallow. And she put her hands forward, they did nothing, and she broke the back of her neck, and she was drowning underwater, thinking, this is it, I'm done. And her sister and a friend dove in, found her, brought her up just in time. But she has spent the last 50 years in a wheelchair. She can't wipe her nose. She can't turn a page. She can't brush her teeth. Not on her own. She needs help. But what you may not know about Johnny is that God began to use her. She could have just sat in that chair and just, I got to live out my days and I'm just going to suffer through world. But she said, God, use me. Use my life. You may not know it, but she's got a daily radio show. She's a better preacher than I am. She is one of the greatest speakers you might ever imagine from a wheelchair. She started an organization called Johnny and Friends, and they reach out to special needs families, and they provide care for special needs students and families, and give them camps and other activities all over the United States and around the world. Not only that, they started an organization called Wheels for the World, and they get donated wheelchairs that people are done with, and they get prisoners in our prison system to repair them, and they take those wheels all over the world to the least of these. These are disabled people in developing nations where there's no health care, there's no help for you, and if you're disabled, you're a burden on society, so you're an outcast. And they bring them the ability to be mobile and to move. And you would never know it. From her wheelchair all these years, she's had her fair share of suffering. I just read that she's going through her second bout with breast cancer. She says, even though I'm a quadriplegic, you still feel the pain. How's that an ironic turn of events? You can't feel your toes, but you feel the pain of cancer. But this is what she said. She said, quote, God allows that which he hates to accomplish that which he loves. Do you see that in Jesus? He allowed himself to not want to go through that suffering on the cross. He didn't want to be beat. He didn't want to be crucified. But he submitted himself to the Father. Why? Because he's going to allow what he hates to accomplish what he loves. He's not slow In returning, he's not slow in coming back. He wants all to come to repentance, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to life. He allows that which he hates to accomplish that which he loves. And let me tell you, when tragedy strikes, you and I quickly realize that we need peace in God alone. Not in this life. Not in the promises life had to offer. It's amazing how quickly we walk away from our stuff, how quickly we walk away from so many things that we thought were so important when your life is at stake. They just weren't that important anymore, right? The kingdom you and I have built is suddenly unimportant when your life is at stake. Jesus offers us an inner peace that we can have now in this life. In spite of life's turmoil, in spite of the conflict, it's a peace that overcomes our stress, our grief, and our anxiety. He truly is the Prince of Peace. And 2,000 years ago, normal life got interrupted for a carpenter and for his fiancée named Mary. And had it happened today, kids will tell you that it probably happened something like this. Will you watch the screen? There's this girl named Mary. 
She loved God and she loved to clean stuff up. One day, an angel appeared. Mary was so surprised and kind of scared. But the angel said, don't be scared, you're going to have a baby. And then Mary said, how can I have a baby? I'm not married. But the angel said, it's all right. The baby will be God's son, Jesus. Mary was supposed to marry a guy named Joseph. She said to him, look, I'm going to have a baby. Joseph was pretty surprised, too, because he didn't know how he could be a dad. But he wanted to take good care of the mom and the baby. Right before the baby was going to be born, Joseph and Mary had to go on a long trip to a town called Bethlehem. But it was okay, because Joseph made sure that Mary didn't have to walk by herself. But when they got to Bethlehem, it was so full of people. Nobody had roof on them. They tried one place. They didn't get other place. At the last place, the guy started to say no. Then he said, wait. I've got a place for you out back. But you gotta be okay with animals. There weren't even any beds. But it was nice and warm. When Mary had Jesus, they wrapped them in cloth. And put them in the animal food dish. No one else knew about Jesus yet. But there were some shepherds just outside of town. And some angels showed up. The shepherds were like, oh no, what's happening? But the angel said, don't be scared. I have something really, really awesome to tell you. God's son Jesus has been born. He's in Bethlehem. He's all wrapped up in a blanket. The shepherds were super excited. So they got everyone together and ran to find Jesus. They were really glad when they found the right place. They were like, is this where Jesus is? And Mary let them come in. And they even got to hold and cuddle the baby. Sometime later, some kings were living far away from baby Jesus. But God sent them a special star. The kings followed the special star a long way. A really long way. A really, really long way. The star showed the kings right where Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus were. They even brought special presents for baby Jesus. Then everybody had a big party. Because they were so glad that God sent baby Jesus. That night was the best night ever. It was the best night ever. It was the best night ever! It was the best night ever.
Listen, Mary could have just given in to the anxiety of the moment, the anxiety of the opportunity in the face of hardship, in the face of a change of plans, in the face of things not looking how she pictured and what she thought they ought to look like compared to what they could look like. And instead, she actively trusted in God's plan. And because she did that, she actually lived the adventure. The scriptures say that she pondered these things. She thought about them and treasured them in her heart. She actually embraced the adventure, even with all of its inconveniences, having to flee to Egypt, having to run away, having to raise the God of the universe. But she could, she could imagine this and she treasured them in her heart because she embraced the adventure. Sometimes you and I, we just want to rely on ourselves and our abilities and our limited resources and our sketchy obedience. But when we do that, we are choosing to live with anxiety. And we don't know the Prince of Peace. And we look at the externals, and they all want to make us anxious. But we have to come back to the time that say that peace is born and peace is a person. Question, are you following Jesus as your peace in the midst of hardships that you are facing? Are you relying on self? Are you relying on your abilities? Are you relying on limited resources? Are you relying on, well, maybe you'll just kind of figure it all out and get it all together? Or are you embracing and inviting the Prince of Peace into your circumstances? Paul wrote in the midst of dire circumstances to a church in Philippi. He's talking from a jail cell and he says this in Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ. My purpose of living in this rental is for Christ. But guess what? If I die, it's gain. I am face to face with Jesus. I have the inheritance for those whose sins have been washed away, not because of my good works, but because of Jesus and his death on the cross, that he died for me. So he's saying right now, to live, if I keep going in these hard circumstances, it's for Christ. But to die is gain. So what then is the response of those of us who put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ? What's our response? What are we to do with that knowledge, with that peace that we have? Our job is to let other people know that peace is not a destination. Peace is a person. And you don't have to undo and destroy people's ideas of Christmas and what their traditions and heritages are. All you got to do is talk about the peace of Jesus, that he's a person, that it makes a difference for now, that peace has been born. And let me tell you, if they come to Christ on their own, they will renovate their Christmas traditions, won't they? Listen, peace is a person. Don't get wrapped up in decorations and all that's going on at this time and miss the God of peace. He wants to meet you right where you are with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Sometimes you need to realize that Jesus has to ruin and tear down the kingdom we have built because he wants to build us, who we are, on a firm foundation. That firm foundation is what Jesus did on the cross. That firm foundation is your sins being forgiven, being washed away. And if right now you would like that, maybe you know in your heart, I have never given my life to Christ. I've never introduced myself to God. I, I haven't known that through Jesus, my sins could be washed away. And if that's you right now, the way that you introduce yourself to Jesus is simply through prayer. 
So you just pray, and let me help you with that. Just pray something like this after me. Just say, Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my heart. Make me a new creation. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose to new life because you're God. Would you wash me as white as snow and make me clean? I want to know you because today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.